Hey everyone, welcome to episode 161 of the In Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me as always is Andrew Brown. Hello. And Tori Wassana. Hello. And this week, uh, we're going to talk about a bunch of things. I'm going to give some updates on my progress in Bravely Default 2. We're going to touch a little bit more on Monster Hunter Stories 2, my early time with Skyward Sword. Uh, we're going to talk about the Olympics, unexpectedly. Andrew's going to walk us through uh, Chris Tales. And we're going to chat a little bit about the new uh, free-to-play MOBA, Pokemon Unite. <laughs> Okay, just some updates from uh, me this week. So uh, last week when uh, Tori and Andrew were talking about Monster Hunter Stories 2, I said I hadn't picked it up yet because I wanted to uh, beat Bravely Default 2 before I did and before I lumbered myself with another JRPG. Well, it turns out I was closer to the end of Bravely Default 2 than I'd realised. Uh, and if I'd realised it was would have been that easy, I definitely would have had it beaten by now. So uh, yeah, uh, finally finished it this week. Um, I think my problem was I was in just started chapter four and i was looking at a guide to see how much longer i left and the guide said there were seven chapters so i was like oh just felt discouraged a bit by it so i wanted to drop it for a little bit uh, but yeah two of those chapters are extremely short and optional i ended up doing them so yeah i think uh andrew's beaten it i've beaten it so overall i i, I liked it i thought it was a very good game um i had moments where i struggled with my interest in the story uh, which i touched on last week i think part of that is just because i had stopped playing it for a little bit but like even even when I wasn't interested in it there were still some really good things here but those those things mostly happened as bookends for each chapter and I think last week you mentioned like some of the twists were, were particularly interesting or or you know fun at the time I, I probably go along with that yeah I liked all the uh intrigue and the paranoia stuff yeah mm-hmm. but uh it's a uh, much more effective if we just, I don't just don't even say what that's referring to because yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> let people discuss about that one on their own um yeah overall largely enjoyed it in, in in many respects it's just the archetypal you know classic style jrpg uh with a couple of you know user-friendly modernizations here here and there um see so the, the thing that made me get the extra two hidden jobs uh, wasn't really because i wanted to see the good ending particularly um but one of the boss fights i was really struggling with and when i looked online uh, one of the abilities from the uh, Salve Master, I think, was really helpful. And yeah, it kind of made any strategy on, on that fight pretty redundant. <laughs> it was so, so effective um, using Contagion. Mm, beautiful tactic. And then, yeah, by the time I'd gone to that effort, it was like, ah, well, there's no reason not to just go get the other job that's hidden behind a pointless and annoying card game and uh, <laughs> go go for the good ending. Yeah. I could not be bothered to play the card game either. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I was I was tweeting about it and uh Rebecca Valentine of IGN uh, hit me up and said it's not that difficult, like you just need to play some other people, get their cards, you'll have a much easier time. Once I did that, it was pretty quick. My worry, I think, with the time investment was going to be that I'd have to, you know, fast travel around the world and play a bunch of different people at a game I didn't really want to engage with. <laughs> Um, this is me in any card game in, in RPGs. Gwent can get stuffed unless it's the, the core mechanic of the game I'm playing. So, <laughs> The other thing that did drive me on to go for those for the good ending is that the both of the fake-out endings were really unsatisfactory and it would have been hard to leave it in that state, unlike something like uh, Dragon Quest where I felt that a certain character sacrifice that led up to the first ending in that game like i didn't want to undo that because i felt it meant something story-wise i certainly didn't have that here and i to leave it 
at one of those bad endings would have just not felt right. Yeah, uh, also the the end boss fights were surprisingly easy once you know the trick, like uh, Paralyze ability and in, in, in the, the very, very final boss was just completely removed any strategy or challenge from that one. I th- I th- yeah, I think it was a bit less difficult than uh, certainly a lot, you know, the games that it's inspired from. So uh, wh- where were you on the, the challenge levels under? Well, like I said, I started off on the hardest difficulty level and I had to drop it down because uh, mm-hmm. the bosses were just impossible. Uh, but mm-hmm. then it's one of those games that has that difficulty gulf between difficulty levels where the normal difficulty mm-hmm. was way too easy. And with all the mm-hmm. jobs mastered, I had all these like passive synergies that really stacked together so I could just steamroll most of the game. Like mm-hmm. That was the only way I could finish the game, and it made the game pretty boring. So <laughs> I was... Mm-hmm. I wasn't real thrilled with Bravely Default 2. Yeah, liked it overall, but it was just, um, yeah, it was tough going at sometimes. Um, the the good thing was my early leveling, uh, job leveling managed to just like let me ignore most of the enemies in the last couple of dungeons as well. Like I just, I only stopped to fight a couple of times just to, to boost my level a little bit more when I was close. But yeah, so that's that. Um, Monster Hunter Stories 2 then. So I picked that up the same day that I finished uh, Bravely Default 2. Just really... reiterating what you guys said last week in that yeah it's a a jrpg with uh, monster hunterisms attached to it um the one thing i really wanted to mention though is in terms of like visual fidelity and performance capcom are kind of killing it on the switch at the moment uh, more than anyone else with the exception of nintendo themselves and I i think it speaks volumes about what the you know what the two Monster Hunter games they've launched as to what the console can do when games are built for it rather than, you know, scaled back to be quickly ported to it. Because, yeah, bo- both these games are very beautiful and in very different styles. So, yeah, really enjoying the uh, the colourful aesthetic of this one. Not really got too deep into the combat yet to sort of, you know, appreciate if it's going to get way more difficult or not. Um, I'm just about to go to the Guardian uh, Rathos Den. Um, most of the way through the through the dungeon there, but uh, really enjoying myself. I find with a lot of JRPGs, this is you know purely anecdotal. A lot of them take a little while to get going and give you the keys to have fun, and some of them kind of front load all the mechanics at you in a way where it's uh, they don't let you try them, or they let you try them once and then don't let you get back to it to to get used to it. And it can all just be a bit overwhelming until you sort of figure things out for yourselves when it eventually lets go the early pacing of monster hunter stories is uh phenomenally even um and i feel like it's uh one of those that sort of just gets you into the action as quickly as possible and let you know at least lets you experience it rather than just like stopping you to hold your hand or stopping you to explain something new you don't need to know yet so that yeah that was that was one of my my early takes as well but yeah overall digging it I, I think it's good i uh i couldn't quite picture how they could get those monster hunter style you know rhythms and mechanics in there but yeah they, they totally nailed it so yeah, looking forward to playing more of that. Have you two got any further on this one? I haven't uh, had a chance to play any more yet, but it's on my mind. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I've been kind of mulling over my thoughts on it, so hopefully when I get a chance to play, I'll be able to elaborate on them. Mm-hmm. One RPG at a time for me. So I played this so yeah. I could talk about it, and now it's it's on the shelf until I'm ready to focus on it. Fair enough. Yeah, the, the only other thing I could say is that I, I, you know, just from the comparison stuff, I thought it would be way more Pokemon styled than it is. 
I think a lot of people just think monster collecting, it's a Pokemon mm-hmm. game, and it's not. Definitely guilty of that. <laughs> they didn't even pioneer um, the genre. Yeah, no. yeah. I'm, I'm going to be plugging away at this on my um, Switch Lite when, uh, you know, I'm in between other things. Um, and I started Skyward Sword, but I haven't got as far as I would have liked because I've just been playing a lot of Monster Hunter Stories 2, and I've been binge-watching TV shows rather than playing this weekend. So I've done most of the the Farron Wood stuff. Yeah, uh, nothing I've played in the remaster has done anything really to change my mind from my original opinion yet um, of a game that I was largely positive towards, uh, unlike everyone. Uh, yeah, I, I'm definitely an, uh, an outlier. Although, no, nah, that's not fair. I think, I think it's just one of those uh, divisive... Uh, games and yeah I'm definitely in the the more positive thing like I still don't feel like the opening it takes too long or is a burden I'm quite happy with with the pacing on that so yeah we'll we'll talk about more of that when we when we've all come towards its conclusion uh definitely going to be playing more of it this this week so one question that I wanted to bring up this episode because I've Mm -hmm. gotten through the second uh dungeon it seems like it's structured that the lead up to the dungeon is part of the dungeon because the dungeon mm-hmm. itself is ridiculously short compared to other Zelda games so far. Does that change? Um, not really. I think what you're discovering there is what we were saying about how it can trick you into dungeons without re- without you realizing. Um, I would say that it probably has a lot more puzzling or things to do before you get to the dungeon than a lot of other Zelda games. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I like that. um, Rather than it being like a, you know, part of the dungeon itself. I I think there's probably some truth in what uh, Andrew said last week about them, like, kind of maybe running out of time with it, so things are a bit shorter in some areas. So maybe that, my my memory, like, I played this, would have been like (laughs) 10 years ago or something now, so my memory's probably a bit uh, sketchy. So uh, I think there's just something mentally about them having dungeon mechanics before the dungeon that somehow makes it feel more like padding than actual gameplay Mm -hmm. like going around and finding four or five different objects because the the family wood still is like the uh, i can't remember what they're called but the little hedgehog looking things you have to find like Uh, four of them it's a take on kiwis and i'll be damned if i can remember it now kiwi or something yeah and then kickwees that's it (laughs) and then the second one had you finding parts of a key Mm -hmm. it just felt formulaic i don't know i'm only two dungeons in so i'm not trying to make conclusive remarks about it yet but it just it's already striking me as padding yeah that's fair i also think it's probably one of the um longer games in the series so that 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 could be an entirely fair no it's not even even so you don't think I think it's one of the shorter ones, actually. One of the shorter 3D ones. Uh, hmm. Uh, just let me have a gander. On how long to beat, they've got it at 38 hours, which seems long for a Zelda game for me. 38? Well. Yeah, if you want to do everything, 37 hours. Um, there's, a pretty, that. there's a big disparity here between the HD version and the Wii version. <laughs> yeah, there is, isn't there? <laughs> wow. Um, but you look at the others and they're like, you know, most of them are under 20 hours. Ocarina, 31 and a half if you want to do everything and see everything. Oh, Twilight Princess is pretty Slow long. Pokes. Twilight Princess is huge. I don't think people yeah. fully... Yeah, That's I why Twilight Princess to needs to come out on Switch so people can replay it and re-reckon with it because... 
mm-hmm. people's memories of that game are they're not accurate. <laughs> I, I know it's 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 not fair to say that to people so that you're just wrong, but you are. You people, you're just wrong. Twilight Princess is not the game you all think it is. <laughs> this is a Twilight Princess fan podcast. May as well be. Like I said last week, this is one of the series where I, you know, I like pretty much all of the games. You know, for even if for, for different reasons or different levels, but. You know, it's it's got a consistently high quality that, you know, sometimes I think that perspective about what's good or bad is hard to distinguish unless it's the uh, Triforce Heroes <laughs> spin-offs, which are just unbelievably terrible. I don't even consider that um, a, a Zelda game, to be honest. It nah. just feels like that era of Nintendo where they just didn't know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's about it for updates. So we'll just move on to the latest Switch news. Hey, not really any news this week, just uh, the Olympics opening ceremony was fun <laughs> uh, for video game fans. We can have the debate about whether it should or shouldn't have gone ahead. I absolutely believe the Olympics should not have gone ahead, <laughs> but, you know, it did. And uh, in the uh, team walk-on ceremony, they played a lot of awesome Japanese video game music. started with the, the Dragon Quest theme. Went into Final Fantasy fanfare. We had Monster Hunter. We had songs from Ace Combat, Pro Evo, or Winning Eleven. Um, it was just like hit after hit after hit. Did I ever think I'd hear Robo's theme at the Olympics? Hell no. Uh, glad I did though. And uh, yeah, it, it occurred to me that Square had licensed more music to the Olympics than they have for Smash Brothers. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sat there going, Zelda's got to be next, right? Zelda's going to be next. And there was no Nintendo stuff. And they must have been asked, surely. Like, it's one of the, you know, for the West looking in, and at least, you know, it's one of the biggest Japanese companies around. I can't believe that they couldn't get one one track. Nintendo must have said no. Nintendo are so funny with their music. Like, they haven't, they don't even really sell their soundtracks in a Mm-mm. accessible way. It's not on streaming either. I think Pokemon is but that's kind of technically a separate company. So mm-hmm. that could have shown up. But yeah, Nintendo, they just make it annoying to listen to their music. So yeah, so that was the thing that happened. Um, I kind of wish we could get a CD of all that music because that was just a really great orchestral hour uh, made worse in Australia because we had, um, polite way to say it, culturally insensitive commentators running over the top of all of it. Um, yeah, please don't, please don't call uh, an African country's national dresser costume. That's the sort of level we were dealing with. So that, yeah, that was. I, I heard some other shockers. You you can call the United States uh, Ralph Lauren clothes uniforms. You can call that a costume if you want, because uh, that was very much a costume. <laughs> I guarantee you, nobody, <laughs> none of our athletes wanted to wear that. It's like, why do I look like I'm going to a country club? <laughs> why am i dressed like this <laughs> so yeah so that was the thing a uh, bit of a uh, fun for the gamers at the the jocks event so yeah uh cool so with that let's uh, move on to the things we've been playing okay andrew you've been playing a game that looks very interesting to me a rpg with one hell of a killer art style uh definitely interested in this one so uh how are you finding it so far? Well, first of all, I don't know if I really like the art style. Really? Yeah, it, it looks good in screenshots, and it looks good 
like in in combat when things aren't moving backwards and forwards and all over the place but when i'm actually in the game world and i'm walking around with this it's been compared to paper mario kind of where it's this really hand-drawn pastel art style uh but the environment is 3d and it's when you're running towards the screen and away from the screen that it, it the effect just looks kind of cheap uh, it, it's really hard to describe. You, you just have to look up the trailer on this because uh, this this is a 3D game, but it's not really built like a 3D game. Most of the environments I've been into anyway are just you run mm-hmm. left and right, and every so often there's like a corridor you run into that lets you run away from the screen to another you know, left-right corridor a little further up. And the effect, like the scaling effect when you're running up and down these connecting tunnels. I, j- I don't think it looks good. <laughs> but, you know, that's just how the different areas are connected. It, it's not that big a deal. And uh, another thing on, on the graphics is the pastel colors just kind of make everything blend together. There's It's a distinct look, but nothing looks distinct in the environment. It's just pastel on pastel on pastel. Nothing stands out. Uh, I'm still very early in the game. I haven't finished it or really played more than a few hours of it. So uh, it's not a definitive reading on the art style. Maybe it's just what it looks like at the start of the game. But uh, it's a unique look. I'll give it that. But I'm not sold on it that it's actually a good one. (laughs) But as for the game itself, Chris Dales is a kind of an adventure RPG. There There is RPG combat, but... Most of what I've actually spent doing in the game so far is actually doing adventure-style puzzle-solving where somebody has a problem, so I have to go out and I have to find some item that will help them solve their problem, and I bring that item back to them. That's mostly what I've done so far, but there is RPG combat as well, and it's all done through time travel mechanics, and very early on in the game, you unlock your time travel ability, and this is another place where the game visually uh, is very distinct but i i don't know if i actually like it is it actually splits the screen into three different sectors at the same time there's like this triangle cut out in the middle of the screen that represents the present and then there's another wedge on the right side of the screen that's the future so anything you see over there is actually in the future and anything in the wedge on the left side of the screen that represents the past so you kind of have to shift the character around in the screen to look at what you're doing how it's going to affect it like uh, uh pretty basic time travel stuff so far like i needed to get this rare fruit and so i planted a seed in the present then i shifted forward into the future and grabbed the fruit after it had grown and brought it back that kind of stuff pretty simple uh, basic time travel puzzle solving but this mechanic also carries over into the combat which also divides the screen the same way Uh, your characters stand in the center of the screen they're in the present and enemies who are on the left and right they're not displaced in time yet but they can be so there's some puzzle solving elements there and again things on the right side of the screen represent the future and things on the left side of the screen represent the past so the first like major fight I got to in the game was against an enemy that had basically an, an impenetrable shield. I just couldn't damage through it. So I used one of my characters to get the shield wet. Then I used my main character, Chris Bell, to advance time on the right side of the screen to the future. 
So it took that wet shield and rusted it. So now I could actually hurt them in the future, which is a kind of a cool idea for an RPG. And yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> and but that's I could only do that because they were standing on the right side of my party. If they were standing on the left side, then I could only push them into the past. So. I don't know what the solution to that puzzle would be, but uh, that's uh, something I'm going to have to start dealing with once I start running into more situations where characters are being pushed into the past instead of the future with my my time travel skills. And there's something going on in some kind of medieval fantasy country. This this game was made by a Colombian development studio, but... For some reason, I'm I'm a huge non-expert on this, but looking at it, I kept imagining this was France. I, I don't. I I just got a very French cultural vibe from everything that was going on in the game. So I I don't know how to parse that. But that was that was how I felt about it. Was if if, uh, if I had to place this anywhere, I'd say this is a fantasy version of France right now. But maybe that'll change as I explore more regions, and uh, they're they're being harassed by something called the time empress which you know this is a time travel game so i'm sure there's going to be some kind of time travel shenanigan involved in that with some kind of twist who knows we'll find out but i haven't played much of it yet and like i said i I have a rule with rpgs i'm not i only play them one at a time so i'm gonna have to circle Mm. back around to this one later in the year but I'm, i'm pretty intrigued by it uh, it's getting positive critical reviews, but on Steam, it's it's at like 60% on user reviews. So I, I don't know what accounts for that. Uh, maybe it had a really bad early access. Uh, maybe people are mad at it because of, you know, SJW nonsense, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> uh, so it, it could be a great game. It could be a, a so-so game. I'm not sure what's going on there. But I'm looking forward to it because I... I I still don't know how to feel about those visuals. I, I'm very on the fence on those, but the mechanics seem solid enough, and I'm interested to keep playing. Uh, well, we'll look forward to your, your closing thoughts on that uh, a bit later, once you've got through your RPG backlog. What is the RPG you're playing at the moment, just out of interest? It's a game called CrossCode, which I don't want to say too much about. Yes. Uh, yes, that one also looks very interesting. I guess what we would call the big release this week is uh, Pokemon Unite, which is a free-to-play uh, MOBA can't even remember what the acronym stands for. Multiplayer Online Battle Arena. That's it. Cute. I didn't know either. I have... My my experience with MOBAs is zilch. Utterly zilch. Um, well, that's a lie, because now it's this. So, <laughs> so Pokemon Unite is a MOBA uh, with uh, Pokemon characters. Uh, how it works is on each map, you have your team Let's call them nodes, uh, enemy nodes, which you need to destroy uh, or uh, score more than the other team before the match ends. Uh, And to score, you need to go around, beat the uh, Pokemon wildlife in the area and then deliver it to an enemy spot. Do that enough, you'll you'll destroy the spot entirely. Uh, And along the way, you'll have to deal with the opposing team who are trying to defend and also score points for themselves. Um, which is where the strategy comes in because there's um, typically in the first match there's two paths you can take up or down and there's a you know, strategy about which you do and when and how to defend and and all that kind of good stuff. Uh, so just as a primer I, I, I played the tutorial and I did one match online uh, in which I was the highest scorer, I was the MVP, we won uh, and now I think that's me done. I don't think I want to play anymore but Tori you've been playing a lot of it I think. Yeah so... Um... I played up until 
trainer level 10. Mm-hmm. Um, it really is just a, one of those level things that just tracks how much time you've been playing. Um, mm-hmm. The whole mechanic of Pokemon evolving and leveling up is all contained within each match. It's not a thing where you play a match and you level up a Pokemon that stays leveled up. It starts mm-hmm. from scratch every time. It's interesting because some Pokemon evolve. So if, for instance, one of the Pokemon you play as can be Charizard, but as you start a match, you're Charmander. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you play, I think the max level is 15, from what I understand. Um, as you play more with your Pokemon in that match, they'll gain new moves. Typically, they're mapped to the right bumper and right trigger buttons. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, you'll get a, like a sort of ultimate attack on your left trigger. That has to charge up. It's got a cooldown. I mean, they all have cooldowns for of a couple of seconds, but this ultimate attack has a very large cooldown, which I think is affected mm-hmm. by how much damage you're doing. The thing that I've been noticing while playing typically just like the standard matches is that people don't really realize that it's not about attacking the other players. It's about gathering a score by, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, taking the wild Pokemon and uh, enemy players. You deposit that score at the enemy um, score points and they have a threshold that they'll disappear once they they hit that threshold and it means that you have to go further into enemy territory to their uh, then score mm-hmm. which is quite significant because you move very slowly in this game mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's a sort of you, if you're doing well it kind of handicaps you by kind of making it more dangerous to score but there's a few oh the other thing is the higher the score that you're depositing at that time, the longer it takes, which uh, leaves you vulnerable. And if you get attacked while um, dropping some uh, points off, it interrupts completely and you start Mm -hmm. from scratch. So another thing that they have is, at least on the map that they have on the um, ranked battles, because there does seem to be different maps with different mechanics, but I haven't really gotten into that yet. But the default map has a Zapdos and a Rotom uh, and you can attack them and they kind of uh, assist you by getting rid of that um, uh, sort of countdown to deposit points. It means that you can just deposit instantly. Mm-hmm. That goes both ways as well. So if you're losing and you manage to attack the Rotom and get the Rotom on your side or the Zapdos, you can actually turn the tide of battle pretty easily. Uh, it makes for some tense battles. What I like overall, though, I've tried playing MOBAs before. I've tried Dota. I've tried uh, LOL. There's so much crap in them. <laughs> I think that's like the worst swear that I could say on here. There's like items that you have to buy before every battle. And each character has a different sort of item set that's best suited for the role that you're playing. It's really reduced in this. There's something called a battle item, which by default, you've, at first you just get a potion. And it just means that you heal a little bit of damage while you play. And there's held items, which are familiar to Pokemon fans. You start off with leftovers, which just means that you recover health when you're outside of battle. And you can get more of these held items and level them up as well. But that's all done outside of the match. It means that in the match, you get to focus on the actual match at hand. You don't have to worry about managing items. Because I've seen some of the pros play those games and they just kind of have it all mapped to buttons and they just kind of (laughs) blitz through it. That's not very accessible to new players. Mm-hmm. Um, that I just really hated it because I try playing with friends and they try to teach me, and that just feels like a university lecture. It's really complicated. Whereas Pokemon Unite, it it trims a lot of the fat, um, but I can definitely still see this becoming toxic if it weren't for the fact that there isn't really an online chat. The only real insight I have on this game uh, with my 
one and a half matches is the uh, spots where you score your points. It's a ring floating in the air, uh, and Pokemon does a little slam dunk. Yeah, they all have a different yeah. animation, which I really yeah. like. So some of them stand underneath and push it, push it up through, but uh, Pikachu gets his little LeBron James impression on. And <laughs> <laughs> what and I really it. like about it is that the different Pokemon kind of play different roles than they do in the main RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've become a Slowbro main, I guess. He's a sort of defensive um, assist type. He's got a move that you can... It's like telekinesis where you can just hold a character. They don't You don't do any damage to them. You just hold them so mm-hmm. that all of your teammates can just come up and uh, beat them up without getting attacked back or them running away. Um, uh, and then playing as uh, Charizard uh, mm. with his... I forget the exact term, but the, his main big damaging move, the ultra move or whatever, is just like a, a dive bomb. And yeah, I was you just pick wand- up wandering and- in. I was wandering into battles that were already happening and just finishing off <laughs> people and picking up kills that way. That was fun. I found it weird that Pikachu, yet again, they just. I feel like the Pokemon Company must regret giving Pikachu evolution forms at all because they just mm-hmm. ignore them. Because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Pikachu in this just stays Pikachu. Yeah, you can blame the cartoon for that, I think. <laughs> also, once you reach a certain level, I think it's either level 9 or 10, you unlock what's called Quick Battles. Mm-hmm. It's a similar format, but it's 4 versus 4, and you level up much faster. Um, each team only has 3 nodes instead of 5, and you get through a battle in maybe 3 or 4 minutes. It's sort of like a really nice... If you just feel like playing, but you don't feel like committing to a whole 10-minute match. Um, I thought it was interesting that they waited until level 9 or 10 to let you even try them out. Yeah, I was going to say that, that that would be a much better introduction. Yeah, well, it's a good way of... when you If you're unlocking your Pokemon and you want to know all of what they can do, it's a good way of... Because you reach max level almost every match in that. Um, I, I'd say stick with it until you unlock quick battles and then kind of give it your, your final verdict if you're somewhat interested in playing this on a regular basis yeah i did i didn't find that there was enough that would keep me playing i think a lot of it comes down to that slow movement i don't know just just found that a bit frustrating but i i can see it being uh, pretty popular it doesn't bother you so much in the s- smaller arena i really wish that they made that the main <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah uh, at least i can say i've tried a moba now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it costs loses points because there's no dedene but he would be tiny on that big map. Maybe in time. <laughs> Maybe you have to beat them up. Let's uh, talk about the unlocks as well, because you, you get a pretty simplistic uh, character uh, customizer, and then like much of it's just earned by you know repeatedly playing the games and hitting rewards. It's got kind of a, a freebie battle pass kind of setup. Um, and that's also how you unlock the license to use different pokemon there um... aren't actually any pokemon they call them licenses mm-hmm. um there aren't any in the battle pass that i can see just a couple of costumes for the pokemon they call them uh, okay. hollow wear um so like mr mime can be dressed up as a magician and i think pikachu has a rapper outfit <laughs> yeah i uh i'm pretty sure i unlocked uh charizard it, separately it gives you a free license at the start there's like a resource that you can collect like well there's a lot Mm -hmm. of resources there's i don't even know the names of them there's coins which you can use to unlock a pokemon there's premium currency Mm -hmm. that you can buy 
with real money. Um, and there's a couple of other sort of special events that are going on where you can get a couple like Zera Zera Aura, the latest mythical. Mm-hmm. You can get that one if you log in, in it within the launch period. But yeah, it looks like you kind of win matches, you earn those gold coins, and that that's the main way to unlock Pokemon. But uh, you can also just outright buy them. It seems like most of the unlocks in this are actually cosmetics for your trainer, mm-hmm. which only you really see on the um, main screen. You don't see other people's trainers that often. Yeah, they don't appear anywhere. Um, just the avatar in the ready-up screen. Yeah, like so you can, I, I don't care what other people dress like. You can look at their trainer cards, and if they've managed mm. to take a photo of their favorite outfit, then you'll see it. But it, it seems weird that most of the unlocks are for something you don't see. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, do you, can you see yourself continuing to play it? I think this is a game that I'm going to have fun playing with friends. Mm-hmm. Playing, I think playing on my own, not really. Um, I'm coming in from the Pokemon fan angle, and I'm not even a hardcore Pokemon fan. I like it. It's the most accessible MOBA I've played, but it's still a MOBA, which means it's kind of annoying that you can invest so much time into something that you know you're going to lose, but you have to still see it through. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I'm enjoying those quick battles. I think that's where the joy is going to come from the game for me. Yeah, I'm uh, one and done. I don't think I'll play it again. <laughs> that, that's not to say that people who like the genre uh, won't enjoy it or... You know, even just Pokemon fans, just, yeah, it's not for me. I'll, I'll bounce. Actually, what I have been still playing, though, is uh, Rocket League, after I talked about, a bit, uh, talked about it a bit last week. Um, yeah, I played last night, MVP 10 times in a row. I think I'm ready to go esports. Uh, <laughs> no, just kidding, just on casuals. Yeah, good fun, still playing that. But that's irrelevant. <laughs> cool, so... They could be fun sorry. in multiplayer games after all, is the moral of the mm-hmm. story. Only when you're not having to talk to people. Exactly. Okay, folks, what are we playing in the coming week? Uh, for me, I'm just in a state of too many long games again, so I just need to try and power through some of those. But if I can fit it in, I'm going to try and play something short from my backlog, just so I'm not retreading the old, the old ground. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, Andrew, what are you playing? Uh, the embargo will actually be up this time, so uh, I'll be playing <laughs> Samurai Warriors 5 uh, and talking about it for real this time because I was supposed to yeah. do that this episode, but we didn't know about the embargo. Yeah, look, look. in my defense, when they usually include embargoes, it's in big, bold letters, uh, sometimes a different color, because that's how you grab people's attention. Bad practice, don't do that. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of missed it in a wall of text. So yes, there was, was an embargo. That was my bad. So yeah, <laughs> looking forward to finally hearing about that. Uh, and Tori? I think I'm in that state where I just need to focus on one thing at a time. Um, mm-hmm. and it's going to be Skyward Sword. Just, it's been on my Zelda bucket list for so long, and uh, I'm actually making progress this time. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us to get noticed. You can also listen on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows. We're all part of the Game Podular Network. Uh, the other shows are PlayState for PlayStation and Power of X for Xbox. Make sure to join our Game Podular Discord server to interact with our lively community. You can also follow us on Twitter, YouTube, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content links for all this stuff is in the show notes if you want to support the shows you can buy us a coffee or become a game podular patreon 
Details for both of these things are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by me, Andy Carrigan. You can follow me on Twitter at FlameRoastToast. Uh, and you can also follow the other two panellists over on, on Twitter. Andrew is at PlayCritically. Uh, you can also read his long-form reviews over at PlayCritically.com. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O. Stew2.